Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Well, good morning. I'm having flashbacks from the 90s. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of you are wondering if you did enough research. Oh, if you got your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And, uh,. We're going to be looking in just a minute, starting with verse 17, Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17. Let's see if I can get out of these things. Oh, he left the key up here. Thank you, Heath. I don't know if you would leave the key up here or not. We know that what Paul has told us in this book, if you've been following along, is that he was a prisoner. I don't know if you've ever had the uh, fortune to be a prisoner, uh, or if you've ever had the fortune to visit a prison. When I was a teenager into my college years, we used to go with a choir, and we would do what they called prison tours, and we would go sing in a lot of prisons, high security prisons, actually. And uh, when we would go through with all the equipment on the hand trucks or whatever, roll in to do the musicals. Uh, depending on which officer and which guard you wanted, depending on if the speaker cabinet got taken all to pieces and all apart to see if we were smuggling anything in or not. So, the concept of Ephesians, I, I, I fear sometimes that when I read the Bible, maybe this is true when you read the Bible, we don't put ourselves in the place of the writer or in the context of what's going on. And Paul, when he's been telling us all these things over the last several weeks that we've been looking at in Ephesians, when he says to us, you're adopted, you're chosen, uh, you're a trophy of God's grace, you have to remember who you are to be victorious in the Christian life and whose you are. You have the credentials that you're an heir of Christ. When he was saying these things to other people he was writing to, the church at Ephesus, and to us in 2021, he was a prisoner. Does that not make you just go, how in the world is that possible that somebody could encourage us in 2021 and yet to be a prisoner and to be saying those kinds of things? Makes me ask a lot of questions. And we get to this chapter, the latter half of chapter 4 today that we're going to be looking at. He gives us yet another uh, tool to have to be victorious in our walk as a believer, and that tool is wearing the right clothes. I'm dressed in my prison outfit. I started to get somebody to stencil Crossroads Community Prison on the back, but I was afraid if I lost it and it got out in the community, people would start wondering what's going on over here. If you're visiting, we don't have a community prison. We think some of our folks maybe should, no, never mind, never mind, never mind. But Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us, Let's just pick it up in verse 17. He says, This I therefore, this I say therefore, and we know to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? Therefore is therefore everything he said so far in this letter. 
So now he's saying, this I'm telling you, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now let's stop right there. I love that idea of walking because if you go back and you look at the very beginning of this chapter in verse 1, I believe, he says, I, Paul, therefore as a prisoner, encourage you, I think it's verse 2, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So this whole idea of walking is... He's talking about the spiritual walk, the spiritual journey that we're on. And he says this in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding. Don't walk like, no longer just as the Gentiles. Futility of mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, verse 20, did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and you've been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one body. Be angry and don't let the sun go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Verse 28. Let him who steals no longer steal, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as in God Christ also has forgiven you. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling, living victorious, being a warrior for Jesus. How do we do that in this crazy culture in which we live? It's very difficult. And Paul is challenging us to walk in holiness, but it requires a tool that he has given us, God himself has given us, and that is to put on some new clothes. Not walking around in these things, but to put on some new clothes. So let's look at it together. What, what prevents us from walking in holiness? I don't, I don't have to tell you because all you have to do is just to take a breath and to be alive and you will see all the things in our culture that keep us from walking in holiness. Even as one of the pastors here, I have to tell you, it is a constant, daily struggle. And if it's not for you, check your pulse. Because we live in a world that is trying to get us to live contrary to God's Word. Every single place you look, every single place you turn... Everything is contrary to what God is telling us to do. I made the mistake last night, Lynette and I watching a TV program. And about five minutes in, I wanted to throw a remote at the television. Why does every single new drama, new comedy, new love story, every single one has to have some kind of hint or actually blatant same-sex attraction on the screen. Folks, if, if, if you have, I mentioned this last week, if you have a young person, elementary, 
high school, college student, grandchild, if, if you're not praying for them, I want to encourage you to do that. And maybe we need to start a day of the week where we have people showing up to pray for the next generation. Because if you're not watching closely, the enemy wants to take them out. Especially if they know Jesus. Because if they can destroy their life, that's the end of Christianity. Billy Graham said it this way, we're one generation short of Christianity being extinct. So the world has an agenda. And I'm not picking on just that one thing. With same-sex attraction, there's a lot of different things in the culture and in the world that's trying to get us, even as a child of God, to mentally think incorrectly. And that's why Paul is saying here, it's so important that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. If we have been adopted and we've been chosen, and God says we're a trophy of His grace and we're dearly loved, wow, it's worth walking in that kind of calling walking in the right way but a lot of things in our culture prevent us from walking in holiness what are some of those he lists those four starting in verse 25 lying lying that's a good one somebody said uh what about a half truth well if it's a half truth it's half a lie so it's a full lie because it's not the truth at least that's what my grandfather used to say and everywhere in our culture people are kind of shading the truth, just to the way, well, it's not exactly the truth. Well, then if it's not exactly the truth, it's not the truth. And we're going to discover when we get into Ephesians chapter 6 that the whole of Christianity, my dear friends, the whole of Christianity is built upon one thing. You know what it is? Truth. And there's only one truth. It's not your truth and my truth. There's only one truth. But we live in a culture that's telling us, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, then what is truth? Do we just pick at random what we want truth to be? And that's what our culture's doing. Lying. Another thing that he lists there, don't be angry, verse 26. Uh, be angry, actually, he says, but don't sin. So you can be angry, but if you're angry and you sin, then you've gone too far. Even Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin. Stealing. I was going to say, verse 28, let him who steals don't steal any longer. Stealing, corrupt words. Gets down to verse 30, says, grieving the Holy Spirit, which we talked about that a little bit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you do something you know you shouldn't do, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. When you don't do something that you should do, that's quenching the Holy Spirit. In other words, if God, if I'm walking down the road or I'm at a restaurant and the waitress comes up to take my order and my heart starts beating fast and I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to pray for her, ask how you can pray for her or share Jesus with her. You don't have to bring out a Bible and read a three-point sermon, but you just need to drop a nugget of Jesus in her lap. And I don't do that, that's quenching the Holy Spirit. Likewise, if God's Word tells me not to do something and I continue to do it, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. So there's all these things that come at us in our culture. Anger, clamor, bitterness, evil speaking. And what we have to remember, which is what we just honored the Lord Jesus this morning, we have to remember that the sacrifice of Jesus, His death on the cross, His resurrection, that sacrifice is what enables you and I to walk in holiness. Now I want to tell you, if, if if what you get from today's message and from the text of God's Word is that you should go out and you should try harder, you've missed it. Because no attempt 
on your part to try harder will ever help you or I measure up to be what I need to be to earn God's salvation. It's not going to happen. I can't jump high enough, run fast enough. It's only the sacrifice of Jesus that makes me holy. When Peter says, be holy for I am holy, and says, when he quotes that passage, that verse in 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy, he's not saying go out and strive and muster up in your own strength to be holy like Jesus. None of us can do that. I hear some preachers telling people to do that. You cannot do that. If you could do that, the sacrifice of Jesus was not needed. I can't do that. So how do we do it? How can we, how can we begin to train ourselves? And there is some training involved to do it. Got to back up to verse 20. I love this. Did you see it? Because Paul tells us. He talks about all the things not to do. And then he says in verse 20, But you didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him, heard Jesus, and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. You didn't learn Christ this way. See, that's the missing element, I think, in a lot of our churches in America. We have to learn. You know what it's called? It's a big spiritual word called discipleship. Because what happens a lot of times, even in my life, when I first thought I became a Christian, is I came down the aisle and I basically was saying, didn't realize it at the time, but I basically was saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to quit doing the bad things. And I'm going to strive and not do the bad things. It doesn't work. Because if you take off the bad things, what you need to do is also actuate the good things. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's not enough to take off the bad things. You have to put on the good things. And the only way that you can put on the good things is to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he says it this way. It's said all throughout the Bible in one of the other letters in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says it this way. Christians put on Christ in baptism. So part of what happens when you get baptized is symbolically and in your mind mentally... Because you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're saying, I am putting on Christ. I have now been baptized. It's not me any longer that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And guess what? I have to do that every single day. And the days that I don't do that, I don't mentally put on that attitude. I don't mentally put on that clothing. Those are the days usually I don't do too well. And I would suggest those are probably days that you don't do too well. He says it this way in Matthew's gospel. Matthew says it this way. They put on the name of Christ, Matthew 28. Paul says it this way in Philippians. They put on or they receive inwardly the mind of Christ. So Christianity and what Paul is sharing here, walking in holiness, is action. There's some action. There's some partnership with us and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does the work in us, but we have to be willing to let the Spirit of God do the work in us. And so he lists several things. Again, let's go back and look at them, starting with verse 25. Just kind of follow along and see what he's saying here. Because if you don't look closely, you'll miss it. I missed it the first several times, even this week, rereading. He says, get rid of falsehood. But he also says what? Put on speaking truth. Verse 26, he says, you can be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 28, don't steal, but instead work, labor. Verse 29, don't speak unwholesomely, but build up people with your words. 
Verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. Verse 31, get rid of slander, wrath, and malice, but be kind one to another. So with everything he's saying, take off, he's also saying, here's something that you should put on. It says this in Ephesians where he talks about, in chapter 4, right here in verse 25, there's these contrasts that are there. There's falsehood versus truth, resentment versus self-control. Stealing versus generosity, evil speech versus edification, there's this contrast. In other words, what happens, and just a few weeks earlier, a few weeks ago, we had people stand up here and share their testimony, and what happens is there's a contrast. If you and I were to spiritually look in the mirror before we're saved and after we're saved, as God continues to work in us, there should be a picture. Those pictures should look different. I think I use the illustration, if I was 500 pounds and I joined the gym and I went for a year and came in and said, look at me and I still weighed 500 pounds, everybody in here would say, you might should find a new gym to be a part of because this one is not working. And the same thing is true. I think the world looks at some of us sometimes and they see us that say, oh, we're a Christian, we're a child of God, we're adopted, we're chosen, and they look at our life. Do they see all those things that Paul mentioned there? Do they see lying and malice and bitterness and anger? Or do they see truth and wholesomeness and kindness? And trust me, friends, I know if there's ever a day, I believe at least in my lifetime, if there's ever a day that it has been hard to be kind, it is today that we're living in. Because the world is just so divisive. Even people you think would agree with you about something, they don't agree with you. Well, I think that steak needs salt. No, it doesn't. It needs pepper. I mean, even things that don't matter. It's just people are contrary. And we are the people, the only people, by the way, God is, has here on this planet as believers in Jesus to help people understand what kindness. And Paul goes on to say in just a minute, we'll look at tenderheartedness looks like. So here's a thought as you think about this passage of Scripture. Maybe it's not ironic, it's probably not, because God doesn't do anything just to do it. It's, there's always a purpose. But isn't it interesting that the writer of this letter is a guy who's in prison, and he's sharing with us all these things that he's challenging us to do and to put on the new self, and yet, I don't know what he was wearing. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I do know he was in prison. I know here in our modern-day world, we have our prison outfits. We have our handcuffs. I was kind of Googling online to see what would come up if you Googled prison attire. Don't do that because some, some of the things are like, what, why is that coming up under prisoner attire? But Google can be a scary thing. But one of the things I saw was not only orange outfits and handcuffs, but a lot of the pictures that I saw were prisoners who had a number. Just known by a number. Aren't you thankful that God knows you more than a number when you trust in Him? And so as, as we read this passage of Scripture, I think Paul is trying to get us to think, perhaps, okay, Paul, where were you? What was going on in your life? How, how crazy it would be if we had a guest that was here today, and their testimony was that five years ago 
They were in prison, and maybe somebody came in, maybe a Gideon, I don't know, somebody came in with a Bible, shared with them, they came to know Jesus, they've been living for Jesus, their life's been radically transformed. How crazy would it be if they walked in to join us today and they still had on their prison uniform? Most of us would go, um, you're a free man, but you're still wearing your prison uniform. Why are you doing that? The first thing that you and I would tell them is, maybe you should try on some new clothes. I think that's what Paul is saying to us spiritually. For some of us, we are, we are free. If you know Jesus, you're free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free. Is, is it only me that sometimes, though, I still feel like I'm walking around in this? Because the enemy will so get into our minds and make us convince us, no, God doesn't love you. You remember what you did the other day? God doesn't love you. You're chosen? Nah, you're last on God's list. The mind, which is what we're going to discover as we get into the rest of Ephesians, the mind is a battlefield. The spiritual war that we face as believers is sometimes in our heart, but a lot of times it's in our head. And I used to have a mentor of mine tell me this, and I'll remember it to my dying day. I need to remember it more often. He said this, especially to us as men, as young men and guys. He'd say, if you want to win the battle here, you have to win the battle here. Because everything goes through here and gets into here. Do you think our culture is ignorant of that? They are well aware of that. Which is why everything tries to convince us in the media and what we see and what we hear is to try to convince us here. Because if it can change us here, it will change us here. And my dear friends, if we're changed here, it will change in our actions and in our behavior and in the way we live. Maybe Paul knew this, just his experience sitting in that prison cell watching. Such a a great analogy. And see, this, this prison uniform... The reason they wear these, if you do a little research, and I did. It's interesting what you find out studying for sermons. The reason that they wear these in prisons, several reasons. Number one is it makes you easily identifiable. So that for some reason you're able to get out of your cell or able to get out of the courtyard where you have a little bit of free time and you start running across the meadow, they will look and they will see the guy running across the meadow in an orange outfit and know he is an escaped prisoner. So it's easily identifiable. The other reason that they wear it is so that everybody looks the same. Everybody's kind of one level. And then, of course, they put those numbers on there. And even though Paul was in prison, what's very ironic to me is he didn't take on the identity of a prisoner. And yet he was in prison. But this is the guy who's saying, wait a minute, I am chosen, I am loved, I am adopted, I have the strength of the Holy Spirit, I have the strength and power of the Holy Spirit working in me, I know who I am, I'm an heir of Christ Jesus. I can't imagine having that kind of pressure, falsely accused, thrown in prison. It may happen to us as believers in our day and age before some of us go on to the other side to glory to heaven, we may face that. But I can say, at least in my own life, I've never faced that kind of pressure that Paul had to be thrown in prison. And yet still somehow 
mentally he kept his mind and his heart in check to realize, I am not a prisoner. I am a prisoner, but I'm not their prisoner. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I was asking myself this week is, whose prisoner am I? See, I think it's important because even in our mindset, when we put on different clothes, it changes the way we think of ourselves, right, ladies? I mean, that's why you go shopping. Guys, we could learn a little something from the ladies in this. You go shopping, you find those outfits, you look in front of that mirror and go, wow, I do look good. Or you find that right outfit, and clothes say a lot. And I know our culture has changed, and this is not a, 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 a mandate from God's word. It's a personal preference. My grandfather used to say all this. He wasn't wrong, but it was his personal preference. He was old school, and that's okay. He's like, boy, you're going to church? Dress like you're going to church. Make you feel better. Our culture's changed, and that's okay. I don't, don't hear me saying you've got to wear your, your three-piece suit to church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for him, it was interesting. Because he thought, if I show up at church, I mean, and, and when he would go, he was, he was, he was, you, you would have confused him thinking he was the preacher. Because he had on the suit and the vest and the hanky and everything. And I mean, it was like, wow, if he's not the pastor, maybe he's a guest pastor, maybe he's somebody special, maybe he's secret service. I mean, you didn't know what was going on. But for some of us, and again, maybe more ladies than men, I don't know. But it is interesting how the way that you dress makes you feel a certain way. Maybe Paul knew that and said, you know what? Though I might be here physically, and we don't know if he was or not in a prison uniform, in my mind, I am wearing an outfit pleasing to the king. I'm in the king's clothes. Which tells me something. Even though the putting on those Fresh clothes will change the way you think and maybe the way that you see yourself. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to wait till you feel that way. You and I have to have to act on what God's word says and put our faith in God's what God's word says about us, my dear friends, not the way we feel. Feelings. Oh feelings. You guys remember that song? That was such a dumb song. (laughs) Our world right now, I don't have to tell you this, you you know. Our world right now, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give the world a slight benefit of a doubt. Our world right now is living ninety-nine percent on feelings. If the truth doesn't fit me, well, I don't really feel that way. So I'm gonna put my truth over here where my feelings match my truth. You want to sign up for a destructive walk with Jesus, put your feelings in place of what God's Word says about you, and you're going to crash. I know, I'm a walking testimony. We can't put our stock in our feelings. So what then is the solution when you, when you see all that Paul is saying here? What, what does he say? Well, he ends the letter with some interesting, interesting words. And I'll be honest, until this morning, I just couldn't wrap my head around this because I'm reading this going, how in the world is that the solution to put on this new outfit, these new clothes, this new mindset? How in the world is this the solution? But here's what he says, verse 32. This is a solution. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Do you see it? Do you you see that word there? Because I had to read this several times, even this morning, just because I missed it the first several times. It's a hyphenated word in the New American Standard. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. If you back up and you go back to verse 19... He uses a different word. I just, I just noticed this this morning. Uh, maybe for, for me, this is just for me. I don't know. Because he gives us litany of things that he says, this is the way you shouldn't live. This is the way the Gentiles don't walk like them in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the, end of verse 18, because of the hardness, some translations say, because of the callousness of their hearts. Some of us in here, I know, have been used to doing manual labor. By the way, manual labor is not the governor of Mexico. Manual labor is like physical work and stuff where you get calluses and stuff on your hands. Some of you maybe know that. I knew that growing up we had five acres of woods, and my dad, every Saturday we were chopping firewood or we were cutting down trees or we were digging out stuff in the creek or whatever. And so I grew up as a teenager with calloused hands. And that was great after a few weeks of getting calloused hands because it made the work a little bit easier. So in that respect, it was good. But what Paul is saying here, dear friends, is what happens is if we continue to grieve the Holy Spirit, and only children of God can grieve the Holy Spirit because you have the Spirit of God in you, or we continue to quench the Holy Spirit, what happens is it's like shoveling and slowly but surely the calluses get across your fingers and slowly but surely the calluses get across your heart and you become callous-hearted instead of how Paul ends this chapter being tender-hearted. Maybe that's just for me. That was like a light bulb going off this morning. I was like, because I've been trying to figure out this whole week what really is the point of the chapter. The point of the chapter is listen to the Spirit of God. Put on the new things. Get rid of the old things. Get off the prison uniform and put on the new things. And as you put on those new things and you tune into the Spirit of God and you walk with a tender heart, you'll be able to walk in holiness. Why? Because you will be tuned into the Spirit of God, and when the Spirit of God says to do something, you'll do it, because your heart is tender. But if your heart is calloused, you may not be able to hear the Spirit of God quite as well. Now, I don't know about you, but that's difficult for me. And maybe it's a guy thing. So ladies, bear with us and give us some patience, but help us. I'm serious. Maybe it's, maybe it's a guy thing. Because we can allow ourselves to get so tough on our exterior that our heart gets calloused over. Let me just be honest and ask, you, ask the question this way. When you sin, does it break your heart? When you sin and you hurt the heart of God, does it, does it affect you? I mean, do you get emotional about it? Does it remind you that it was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his death that gives you the grace that you have? If not, your heart might be a little hard. Does it, 
Does it grieve you or hurt you or burden you to know that there are people within earshot of this building that don't know Jesus Christ, and if somebody doesn't tell them, they'll split hell wide open? Does that, does that hurt your heart? Do you feel that? If not, you might, be, you might have a few little calluses across there. When someone is hurting, a brother or sister in our congregation that's hurting, Maybe they're not lost spiritually, and maybe they're lost physically because they've been fishing. So good to see you, man. But does it, when, when some, they have some burden, a fellow member of our church, does that cause you to just, man, hurt for them and want to pray for them and want to do something? If so, that's because your heart's tender. So Paul's given us this. This answer, this, this other tool, this other gift, he's saying, if you want to be victorious and be a warrior for Jesus, stay tenderhearted. Now, I've got to confess to you, when I think about that, I'll just be honest. I'm a little anxious when I even think about that, because that means when you're tenderhearted, some of you know, you're going to get hurt. Welcome to adulthood. And adults, I would ask us, challenge us, challenge myself to teach some of our younger friends in here that that is the way God intends us to live the Christian life. Because the world is trying to get our young people to live with a calloused heart and be unaffected by what goes on around them. And that's not what God wants. The new man that Paul is talking about here who's putting on The things that he's listed there is seeking to show the same kind of kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness to other people that God himself through Jesus has shown to you. And basically what Paul is saying here is if we learn to live tenderhearted and we treat other people as God treats us, What will happen? That laundry list of all those things that he mentioned about lying and anger and malice and unwholesome words, all that list, I can't keep up with all that list. That's that's a long list, and that's only one chapter of the Bible. There's no way I can keep up with all the all the do nots in the Bible. I think sometimes we we miscorrectly, incorrectly tell culture to keep up with that list. There's a much shorter list to keep up with. You know what it is? Treat other people the way you want, want to be treated. Demonstrate to people the same grace that God has demonstrated to you. That's how Paul ends this letter. Be tender-hearted and forgive them just as Christ forgave you. That's a much shorter list, much easier for this guy to remember than that long list. Because the truth is, if we do what Paul is saying here, we'll fulfill every single thing that Paul's talking about in this chapter. So here's the question today. A couple questions as we wrap up. Have you been forgiven? Are you still a prisoner? If you've been set free, are you still walking around in a prison outfit? Because God, through His grace and His mercy, you don't have to wear these anymore. Again, maybe it's me. This last thing I just feel compelled to say. Maybe for some of you, Whatever the issue is in your past has got you in handcuffs. God's forgiven you. That's not the problem. You just can't forgive yourself. 
It's hard, isn't it? Here's what I'd say to you, dear friend. It starts with confessing to God that what He says about you is true. Not your feelings. Tell yourself what God's Word says is true. I have to do that over and over again. And eventually, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will change the way you feel. Because the way you feel has nothing to do with what God's Word says. It's great when my feelings align with the fact of God's Word, but sometimes they don't. So if something in your past has still got you in handcuffs, I'm going to ask you this morning, take the chains off. Because God's already, God's already done it. He's, he's already given the key. The key is Jesus Christ. And He has a key for you today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of your Son on the cross that allows us, Lord, to not walk around in prison clothes. You have set us free. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room today who is walking in bondage. Lord, as hard as it is to admit, there are some times where we can be children of God and we can still be walking around in a prison uniform. Walking around with chains on. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit today would set people free if they need to be set free. Maybe some guilt of the past that you've already forgiven them for, but mentally in their mind they can't overcome it. Maybe there's someone here today that is in that prison uniform because they've never said yes to Jesus. So Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit would speak to them and if they need to say yes to you, that during this time of invitation, Lord, they would just respond in obedience to you. And we give you this time. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to have a song of invitation this morning. And if you need to come down and make any kind of decision, I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come stand with me. Maybe you just need to pray or have somebody pray with you. So you know what? I'm leaving the chains at the front today. I'm leaving the prison uniform at the front today. If you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know Him as your Savior today, we'd love to tell you how you can do that today. Maybe you're here and you've been visiting. And you'd love to put your roots down in this church here at Crossroads. We would love to have you just come down and let us know this is where you'd like to be. Would you stand with me and let's sing our song of invitation this morning. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.